Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 96 of Hack to Start. This episode features Avery Schwartz, the founder and CEO of Camp Tech, a workshop company for non-technical people. Tyler and I want to invite Avery onto the show to share her story as a designer and entrepreneur who's dedicated to helping others. With a background in theater, Avery was drawn to both graphic design and the freelance lifestyle and decided to make a change. She launched her own design firm to enable her to follow this passion while still being able to contribute to innovative projects like the Art Canada Institute. Through freelancing, Avery saw a need for in-person workshops on a variety of subjects shortly after Camp Tech was born. Since launching in 2012, it has grown to more than 250 workshops across several major Canadian cities. Avery also shares her experience by teaching the business of interactive design and how to work with clients at Hummer College in Toronto. She is also the co-host of a new conference called Gather North, which is a retreat for women who make the web. Avery joins us to share her story, how she started her freelance business and some of the biggest lessons she learned along the way, how CampTech grew so quickly, and why she decided to create and launch Gather North and much more. This is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Avery. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, thanks, guys. I'm so excited. Yeah, us too. It's a pleasure to have you on, and we're looking forward to learning more about you and Camp Tech and, and all the amazing things uh, you've been up to. So uh, I guess to, to kick this off, can you share with us a, a little bit more about yourself, like where you're from and, and what you studied? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I think like anybody who's over the age of 30 that works in tech, I have the most crazy kind of career path to, to get to where I am. Unlike, uh, you know, like I'm teaching some students now who are, you know, just fresh out of high school and they're going to have like the most beautifully straightforward career paths. And <laughs> that did not happen for me in the 90s. So, oh, my gosh. OK, so uh, I grew up in the States which was kind of awesome and and crazy all at once. Like I lived all over the southern U.S. And then uh, my family moved to Canada when I was 13. And we moved to a suburb of Toronto. And like the first winter I was in Canada, like, I like thought I was going to die. <laughs> it was so <laughs> cold. Um, but that's a Toronto winter. It's not an Ottawa winter. No, that's like a wussy winter, right? But I've been in Canada since I was 13. So, uh, you know, I now actually really love winter and have come to really enjoy it. Uh, and I really, really like being here. So, okay, I'll try and keep it as succinct as possible. I was a total math and science nerd in high school until I discovered drama and, uh, and performing arts. And then I became a theater nerd. So for like post-secondary uh, education, I went to university. I went to Ryerson University. Uh, in Toronto and went to theater school. But I, I wasn't an actor. I worked, I did this program where they would teach you how to work behind the scenes. 
And I thought I would be a lighting designer because for me, that was like a really nice mix of like an artistic pursuit. But then, you know, lighting design is a lot of physics and a lot of math. So I thought, okay, this will be a great way to combine my like love of math and also the art side. But then when I came out of theater school, I actually was much more interested in working in administration of all things um, and worked as a producer and a marketing person and like was totally on this like solid career path in the performing arts industry. I worked for a number of different theaters in Toronto. I, you know, did a lot of different freelance kind of stuff around for different theaters. I was like totally, totally, totally immersed in the Canadian performing arts scene. And then I was, oh gosh, I was probably about 26 or 27 years old. And I started having panic attacks. And I started having really crazy burnout. The theater industry is a wonderful industry full of lovely, lovely people who care so much about what they do. But there's very little money. And the lifestyle is kind of crazy. You know, I I say that it was like the best parties I've ever been to. But also like one of the craziest lifestyles I've, I've ever been in. And that's a lot saying that, you know, now that I'm in the tech industry. (laughs) <laughs> to say that the theater industry was even crazier. So I decided to make a lifestyle change. And, you know, I think like a lot of people that that turn into being freelancers, for me, it was a total lifestyle shift. And I knew this girl who was uh, a freelance graphic designer. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, like, that looks cool. I want to I want to be like her, like her lifestyle looks pretty cool. So I went back to school and did a a print and web diploma program, like a crash course in like six months to learn creative suites. And now you got to remember, this is in like 2007. So when I was learning the web back then, like I learned Flash and HTML and CSS in like a little bit of JavaScript. That was it because that's all everybody was doing back then. And then I and then I went freelance. I, I became a freelance designer. I was, you know, like living the dream. Early days, a lot of my clients were theater companies, like the same theater companies I had worked for, uh, a lot of charities, arts groups, small businesses. And, you know, that's changed a little bit, but, but that kind of core client base really is still my clientele today. Over the last, oh gosh, how long is that? Like nine years? I don't do print design anymore. Uh, it turns out I was actually a pretty lousy graphic designer, uh, but I was an okay web designer. So um, I'm still a web designer. And now I also just do a lot of digital strategy work as well. And in 2015, like it was a big, big thing for me. I stopped writing code. I now work with a developer on every um, web project that I do. I've got this wonderful team of um, all all women. We have a, we're like lady devs. That's awesome. Uh, and these wonderful, wonderful women who are so forgiving of me, because, you know, I'll go in and like tell them, like, oh, can you adjust the CSS? Can you change this? And they're like, Avery, we don't write CSS. We write SAS. Can you please, you know, <laughs> they're like, they're so kind with me because I, I'm still talking in, you know, the old, old lady language because I'm like 36. So I'm old. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So how did you, I guess, first get started, uh, you know, as a freelancer, how did you blaze your own trail into tech? Like what pushed you to do that? Oh my gosh. Like I said, it was definitely, it was a lifestyle choice for sure. So I, you know, I was so burnt out after working in the arts that the idea of being my own boss of, um, you know, 
also not having anybody put any limits on my potential and what I could and couldn't do. So that if I felt like just not working for a month because I would rather, you know, go travel, then so be it. And then I just, you know, wouldn't make any money. Um, or if I felt like totally, you know, burning the candle at both ends and working late nights on a really big contract, then I would, you know, reap the benefits of that. So I really love the lifestyle idea of being able to pick and choose which gigs and which contracts I wanted to take on. I think coming from the arts, that never seemed kind of scary to me. I noticed some people, they think, oh, you know, if I do contract work, then where's my next contract going to come from? And, you know, that kind of keeps them up at night. You know, yeah, that worries me. I, I would lie if I said that that didn't worry me at all. But in the arts, you kind of work from contract to contract. So I was kind of used to that lifestyle already. How did I really kind of then, then get into the tech stuff? Like little by little by little, like attending conferences and going to meetups and events and then kind of like finding my community within the community, you know, reaching out. Um, I don't like I don't know if any of your listeners are familiar with Ladies Learning Code. It's a really great organization, operates across Canada um, to teach women. And then the, and I think men can attend as well. Uh, and then they also have Girls Learning Code and Kids Learning Code. I used to mentor and and just volunteer and spend a Saturday just teaching beginners how to set up WordPress. And so I would meet other people that were volunteering at Ladies Learning Code. And then we would hang out and have beers and, you know, and now it's led to me being a member of like, I don't know, something like, like 12 different Slack channels <laughs> where I can, you know, keep track of, of all these peeps. So and many Slack channels. <laughs> it's becoming a bit of a problem. I love it so much. It's like, it, but it's, it's thrown a wrench in my productivity. <laughs> I need a new inbox just for all my IM groups. <laughs> right? It's so true. So, Yeah. That's great. So you've been running your freelance uh, gig for approximately 10 years now. So what have been some of the biggest challenges in starting your own web design company and just freelancing in general? I, I like to say that, you know, every clause in my contract, like I have a pretty standard contract that I use with all of my clients, every single clause in that contract has a story behind it because of, you know, some mistake I've made something I didn't do that then I'm like, okay, you know, learned that lesson. Next time I'm going to put a new clause in my contract that, you know, specifies X, Y, and Z. You got to remember, like, I, I went to art school. I don't, I didn't know, didn't. And now I kind of know a little bit um, about running a business. Again, like this, this was early days. The irony of it is that now I'm actually teaching a class at Humber College in Toronto for young design students. I'm teaching them a business class. So <laughs> I'm kind of teaching them all the stuff that I wish somebody had taught me when I started out. But even things like, you know, like, like there was no Mike Montero. Uh, well, actually, no, okay, no, he existed. I'm, I'm not saying that he wasn't alive, but, you know, he, he hadn't written design as a job yet. And there weren't, you know, Dan Mall talking on the Businessology show and all this other stuff like, like, there were not a lot of resources for the business side of design. So I think that was definitely the biggest challenge. How do contracts work? How do I do my accounting? Where do I find clients? How do you network properly? How do you, you know, reach out and find new people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like they don't really teach that in school, except yeah. at my school. Yeah. <laughs> You've essentially reflected the last three months of my months of my life. And that's what, right? I, what's, what's I've been doing, you know, setting up a business account and doing accounting and writing contracts and <clears throat> going to business meetings and stuff like that. But then you, at the end of the day, you still have to, to design. So it's, uh, right? I can definitely relate to, to, to your experiences. 
Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it's one of the things I'm telling my students right now this semester that you might not love the business side of it. You might think of it as being a chore, you know, invoicing and HST remittances, um, which I find strangely kind of lovely, but that's just me being weird. Even if you don't love that stuff, it's a necessary evil. It's the stuff that you need to do so that you can keep doing what it is that you do love. So if you have to set aside like an afternoon a week or a day a month or whatever it may be to, you know, just track all of your business expenses and all of that nonsense, at least, you know, it's, it's you doing what you have to do so you can keep doing what you love. And I 100% agree. So what have been some of the biggest challenges and advantages just like the Canadian tech and small business industry over the past few years? Oh, man, that's a hard one. Um, I'm I'm gonna give a shout out to like a Canadian startup that I just adore. And I, I don't work for them. I don't get an affiliate kickback. I don't get anything. But like, I love FreshBooks so much. <laughs> um, FreshBooks is how I run the accounting side of my freelance business. I adore it. It's made my life so much simpler and so much easier. So I've got like a lot of love for FreshBooks. I love that they're proudly Canadian, um, you know, and they keep their headquarters in Toronto. But I mean, I guess like in terms of being Canadian versus, you know, being anywhere else, like, like I said earlier, I was born in America and I do have dual citizenship. So even though I've, you know, set up my family here in Canada, in theory, you know, I I could go and work in the state. Why do I choose to stay in Canada? I think for all the other reasons why we we love it here, you know, the, the quality of life is is so fantastic. So for all of those reasons, I choose to keep my business in Canada so that I can stay here. It's not hard for a freelancer in Canada. I I do talk to some American friends. Um, One thing that I have noticed for sure that's a difference between uh, running a freelance design business here versus in America is that um, in the States, you have to lawyer up and you better insure everything. Like, I need very little business insurance to keep my web design business running here in Toronto. But some of my friends down in the States, like they take out insurance over certain clauses in their contracts. Like to me, that just sounds bonkers, but that's just their culture. And that's just the way that business works in America. You have everything with more legalese. You have everything with more insurance because they're just a more litigious society. I kind of love that in Canada, business seems a little easier along those lines, if that makes any sense. Well, it does. And uh, I like the FreshBooks shout out that they're definitely been my go-to app as well for just just invoicing. Right? They're the best. I Mm -hmm. love FreshBooks. Great team. So so if you had to pick like one project that you've had to work on the last 10 years that you've had the most fun or just the, the biggest impact, what was that project? Oh, wow. There have been so many that have been so fun and so challenging. I like to say that whenever I take on a web project, I feel really comfortable if I hit the sweet spot of kind of knowing like how I would approach a given project of, and and my sweet spot is like somewhere around 70% where if I'm talking to a client, you know, it's very first introductory meeting and I've got about, you know, about a 70% chance of like, I know exactly how to do this. And the other 30% is like, yeah, I might not know the exact details, but I'm pretty confident I can figure it out. To me, that's a really nice ratio of like, that's going to be a challenging project, but not too challenging that it becomes scary. If you know what I mean? Like, you know, if you, I feel like if if I only know about 50% of how to solve a problem, that's exciting, but that's also risky. And that, that becomes too scary for me. So I kind of like to evaluate my projects based on hitting that kind of sweet, like 70% spot. Because if I know more than 70%, then it's going to be 
almost kind of boring because it won't be much of a challenge for me. So when I think back over all the projects I've done, one for sure that was like super fun in terms of the team that was involved and still is involved and also just really not knowing what we're doing, but having so much fun kind of trying to figure it out. I'm part of a project called Project Hush, it's an organization called the Art Canada Institute. And the Art Canada Institute is um, a not-for-profit organization devoted to the, you know, education and promotion of Canadian art history, which is something that is severely lacking in this country. Um, if you kind of ask, you know, anybody on the street, like, hey, name me some Canadian visual artists, you know, they'll probably say like the group of seven or Emily Carr. And that is probably all they can think of. But Canada actually has a really, really rich and um, like world class history of visual arts over the last couple hundred years. So the Art Canada Institute is led by a woman who has an extensive background in art history, an extensive background in publishing. And she thought, well, I want to make a series of books, like the equivalent of like coffee table books, really beautiful, rich imagery, like wonderful, you know, essays written by, you know, leading art scholars about Canadian art history. But she's clever in that she knew that if she made them as actual books, that they probably wouldn't sell very well. They'd go out of print, that it would be a real struggle to get them published. So she said, why don't we just make it an entirely digital project? And she's a friend of mine. So she brought me in in really early days and said, how do we make this go? And so I worked on that for, oh gosh, probably over two years. Like from the moment she approached me up until, um, you know, recently where I've kind of been able to pass off a lot of the work to other people. And, it, and it's online now. Like you can, you can go online. There's over 20 of these, you know, we, we call them online art books because there's really no other word for it. But it's this like totally immersive web experience in French, in English, you know, visual. We've got imagery. We've got beautiful essays. We've got they use, you know, the technology of the web to, you know, play video and, and link up different stuff. And it's it's just been one of like the kooky, craziest and most rewarding projects I think I've ever done. Oh, that's amazing. I'm going to definitely have to check it out. Uh, yeah, after the right? show. yeah, it's pretty great. Um, and you can learn so much. It, and actually, you know, that's been my favorite part about working with the Art Canada Institute is that every time we put out a new book about um, a prominent figure in Canadian visual arts history... I got to read the book and learn more about our country's heritage in the arts, which is something that I didn't even get when I went to art school. Mm -hmm. um, I learned more about Canadian visual art by working on this web project than I ever did in my fine arts degree. That's so amazing. That's kind of cool. So I have to ask, how have you been able to manage a healthy work-life balance uh, through freelancing? <laughs> it's uh, something that I'm trying to figure out right now on my end, and I would love to know some uh, pointers or tips. Uh, I'm laughing because it's like, I all I can do about that question is laugh. Um, you know, it's, it's a question that gets thrown around a lot. You know, what, what's work-life balance, you know, for tech industry people? What's work-life balance for, um, for entrepreneurs? Work-life balance for freelancers? Uh, and now I have, um, I have a child. I have a little girl who's five years old. So there's also the work-life balance of being a parent. Mm -hmm. which is, you know, bonkers. So I was at a, a really great event um, last last month, a couple months ago, I don't know, earlier this year, a really great event called Owner Summit, which is a, you know, it's a conference. Yeah, we can call it a conference uh, for a few days every year for people who own their own uh, studios. 
so it's for owners from, you know, freelance all the way up to, you know, having a few hundred employees. And someone at Owner Summit said they don't like the phrase work-life balance. No, sorry. They found that in their experience, people often confuse the phrase work-life balance with work-life separation. And that really rang true to me. Um, and I tweeted at him and said, do you mind if I steal that line? And he said it was okay. Because, you know, to me, that's the thing. Like, I think that you can be balanced without necessarily separating the two. There's an immense amount of freedom that comes from kind of doing your own thing and being a freelancer and running your own business. You know, it's our prerogative to just take off a week whenever we feel like it or just decide that, hey, it's my birthday. I don't want to work today. That's kind of an informal rule for me and some other freelancers I know. Like, we just don't work on our birthdays because we can. But then, like, just, you know, this past Saturday night, I was sitting up in my office. You know, my husband was watching, I don't know, baseball or a hockey game or something. And I was up in my office, like, working on a proposal. So, you know... The time ebbs and flows. There are moments where you feel like you're working too much. There's moments when you feel like you're not working enough. There are some things that I definitely will not compromise on. This year, my daughter started kindergarten, and I decided that I was going to walk her to school every day, which means that I can't start my day until about 9.30 because I have to get her up, get her out the door, walk her to school, and then I can go to a meeting. So that means I can't go to creative mornings anymore. I can't do early morning business meetings. But to me, it's a non-negotiable. I want to spend those mornings with my daughter. Then there's the other side, which is like, you know, sometimes if you do have a little bit of free time because you're waiting on a client to send you feedback that they were supposed to get to you yesterday, but they didn't get it to you. So instead of sitting around and twiddling your thumbs, like take advantage of that free time, you know, go to the art gallery, um, you know, go shopping, play video games, like whatever it is you like to do, because you know you're going to end up working more in the off hours to compensate. So to me, it's just, it's it's fluid. There's always something coming and going. And you know in your gut when it's not right. And then you need to, you know, make some adjustments and take some time off or do whatever you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with with that. It's a great perspective and a, and a great way of putting it. So you're you're currently the, the founder and CEO of, of Camp Tech, uh-huh. um, an, another hat just like entrepreneurs wear. Um, right. what, what is Camp Tech and, and what really motivated you to start it? So I love that we, we kind of talked about my web design studio first because Camp Tech came directly out of that. So Camp Tech started as my side project. You know, uh, we always like to say you should have a side project, something going on. Camp Tech is a workshop company where we do in-person, not online. These are in-person workshops. We're currently in Toronto, Ottawa, and Vancouver. Plans to expand to other Canadian cities. The difference between Camp Tech and some of the other kind of programming schools that are out there is that Camp Tech is for what I like to call normal people. Camp Tech is for non-technical people to learn tech skills in just a little short way so that then they can go back to their jobs and just do their job a little bit better. So we're not teaching people how to become professional developers, designers, content marketers, you know, whatever. Um, we're just teaching them like an afternoon of how to advertise on Instagram, how to, you know, do a deeper dive into Google Analytics, how to set up your own WordPress website. Like these are really short, like usually three hour long workshops on a bunch of really practical topics for business owners, for people that work in marketing departments, for charities, for a lot of the same people that, you know, coincidentally or not, uh, are the kind of people that I work with in my web studio. 
So the way that Camp Tech got started was because I was working with my clients. And this is going back to 2011 and early 2012, when um, a few different clients asked me where they could go to learn SEO, because I was helping them get their website online. And I was doing some SEO stuff for them to get their website up and running. Um, And for uh, listeners that might not know, SEO means search engine optimization, or like basically how to get Google to like you more. And I, you know, I would say, okay, here's some online resources. Here's some online classes that you could take. Here's some articles you could read. And a couple different clients said to me, Avery, I don't, I don't like to read articles about tech. (laughs) You know, um, I wish someone could just teach me. And so, you know, I went to Google myself and looked up like, where can somebody take a class in search engine optimization in Toronto? And basically there was no answer. So I thought, oh my gosh, this is a business opportunity and just started running workshops on a really like ad hoc basis of just me and a few friends, like just teaching the skills that we know. And the workshops kept selling out like over and over again. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this, this has potential, this can scale. This is a beautiful thing. You know, nobody else is doing this. I've got to get on it. And then that's when I kind of discovered that I have this massive entrepreneurial streak that I didn't even know was in me until I started Camp Tech. So I say, you know, it started as my side project and now it's a large, um, you know, across Canada company with 45 contractors and a couple of employees. And I think we're going to do close to 200 workshops this year. Wow. That's incredible. Which is insane, right? And, and, you know, we're, when we're in our, um, Fourth year, third, third, three and a half years. Yeah, three and a half years. Awesome! Congratulations. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I'm sure it's I'm sure it's changed a lot. But you know, how have you grown Camp Tech over the years? Like attendance, what what sort of strategies or distribution channels? How do you get the word out about them? We're really, really scrappy, <laughs> and um, it's so funny that the irony of how this is all kind of coming around. Um, we now have a workshop at Camp Tech that is taught by our marketing manager. And it's called Digital Marketing on a Shoestring Budget. And basically, she's just teaching everybody how we grew Camp Tech. It's, it's, it's very meta and, and kind of ironic that that's come around to that itself being its own workshop. We're old school. Like, we do a lot of email marketing. We do, like, posters and postcards that are literally, like, hand-delivered to coffee shops and businesses around each of the cities that we're in. We do a lot of outreach uh, and partnership with small business clubs, BIAs, chambers of commerce, women in biz networks, you know, makers learning business. We'll kind of partner up with a lot of those people as much as we can. We partner with economic development groups at the different cities we're in. We do a fair amount of online advertising. You know, we're pretty big fans of Facebook ads and doing pay-per-click ads through Google AdWords. But word of mouth, you know, once once, you know, word of mouth really starts to spread about what we're up to, we see that as being our number one driver. Um, and we have a really high rate of return. So if somebody takes one class at Camp Tech, they are likely to tell a friend, come back, you know, they like to come back themselves. So, you know, we, we have some programs that incentivize that with affiliate marketing and sharing information and promo codes and that kind of stuff. But really, like in the early, early days, it was just old school hustling. Like me getting out and telling everybody I knew about it, handing out postcards, you know, getting people to sign up for the email list, really kind of the, the grassroots, like guerrilla style. It, it's around for a reason. I love it. It's awesome. So 
you know, with with those, you know, several locations across Canada and, uh, you know, 200 courses or camps this year, how do you how do you manage to keep all the instructors and the team and the students on the same page and and working together and, and sort of what's what's next for Camp Tech? What's the next step you guys are taking? I wrote a blog post uh, a little while ago, and maybe we can link to it in the show notes. Um, I put it up on Medium where I listed all of the tools we use to keep Camp Tech running. And it's something like close to 20 different like apps and platforms and you know productivity tools and stuff that we use on a daily basis to keep Camp Tech running. Like, you, you know, I love Slack. We use uh, Google Apps, you know, to share a lot of our documents and stuff. So there, there's all kinds of like digital tools that keep us running. but really. Um, kind of the strategy behind it and this is so like not sexy and not really interesting but it's essential for scaling a business is we have systems and we document everything um you know we launched in vancouver in early sorry not early in september 2015 and we documented the whole thing and now have a really clear path of what does it look like to launch camp tech in a new city and who do we reach out to how do we do it at what time what are our methods and our standards? You know, we, we have workshops running across the country on any given day. So we've also standardized that a little bit. Like, what is the experience for someone who comes to Camp Tech, whether they are in Toronto or Ottawa or Vancouver? What does that feel like for them running right across the country? So it's, you know, it's not really fun. It's been downright boring, if you ask me, but it's essential that we have really invested a lot of time into standardizing and documenting all of our procedures. And then what's next for Camp Tech? Uh, ooh, this, this is new. And, uh, you know, this this will be coming up in just a little while. We're actually working on our own podcast at the moment. That's awesome. So that'll be launching soon. And then we're looking at, at, at growth into new cities. We're always looking for kind of what's the next market we're going to launch in. Um, we're also doing a lot of expansion right now in our corporate training division. Um, there's been a lot of people that have either come to a public Camp Tech workshop and then said, oh, hey, this is great. Can you come and train my whole company? Or, you know, people that are just looking for like how to bring that tech training in-house to um, really empower their teams. That's that's what we've got going on uh, right now. Awesome. So just a few things on the plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. It's like, and, and I do actually sleep and and sometimes like get to watch TV. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, let us know if there's anything uh, you, you need uh, in terms of podcasting. We'd be happy to help out. Absolutely. Yeah. Help spread the word for sure. For sure. So um, one of the other things you got going on is you're one of the organizers for Gather North. So what is that event and, and what motivated you to help organize that as well? Okay, so Gather North, you can kind of, you can call it a conference. We call it a professional getaway. And Gather North is for women who make the web. And uh, we had our first event in November 2015, and we've got another one coming up in November 2016. Uh, registration opens on April 30th uh, at gathernorth.com. Got to throw that in there. Gather North is the direct result of a like a coffee conversation I had with a friend. Um, this is one of the number one things I love about being an entrepreneur is that like where other people might just kind of talk about doing something, when myself and my entrepreneur friends get together and we talk about doing something, we actually then like launch it. Domain so my name friends, registrations happen. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I always say that like, you know, some women like to like, you know, have a glass of wine and buy shoes online. I have a glass of wine and register domain names <laughs> for business ideas. <laughs> so Gather North came out of a, a coffee conversation I had with my friend Sarah. And Sarah is also a web designer and tech entrepreneur. And we were just kind of like, you know, just 
yabbering on about like what tech conferences we like to go to, what events we like to see. And, you know, we were kind of talking about uh, the problem and the problem is, well, there's lots of problems, but in this particular case, it's um, gender diversity in the tech industry. And we were lamenting how every time we go to a conference, it's like guys in plaid shirts with beards. And uh, we're like, why isn't there an event that's just for us? for women who make the web to connect and to like really get to know each other and inspire each other. And, you know, then, like I said, we talked about it and then we did it. So we had this uh, three day event, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday at um, the Drake Devonshire Inn in Prince Edward County last November. It was, it sold out months in advance. We had some big name sponsors it was like a raging success, like much more than I could have possibly imagined. Um, and we had so much fun that we're doing it again. So uh, we've got this event coming up in November. And like I said, tickets are about to go on sale. We've we've upped the capacity a little bit. We, we're adding a few more tickets, but we're still keeping it really nice and small. And it's all about, you know, fostering connections and building networks and inspiring and challenging our attendees so that, you know, we have a, a stronger presence for for women in the tech industry and we fully expect it to sell out and to, you know, be another really fun weekend. That's yeah. amazing. Do you have any recommendations on great content that you've come across lately, either a book, video or a blog post? Can I, can I mention another podcast? Of course. Like, yeah. So, you know, I, I do listen to a fair amount of podcasts. They're great for, you know, when I'm walking, you know, or taking the streetcar or like driving out to Humber college. Um, and one that I've just been totally loving lately is, um, and maybe you guys listen to this, it's called reply all. And it's on uh, the Gimlet kind of media network thing where the startup podcast is as well is these two guys. They used to have a podcast called TLDR that was really good. And then they rebranded and, you know, went on Gimlet and now they call it reply all. And it's a, about the internet, like it is technical, but it uses a lot of the same kind of long form storytelling, really high quality journalism that you're used to hearing from like This American Life or Radio Lab. So I, I absolutely adore listening to that podcast. And then for Canadian content, I mean, it's not specifically tech, but I really, really love um, what Jesse Brown is doing with the Canada Land podcast. And Camp Tech is even like a sponsor of Canada Land because I just like love what uh, mm -hmm. what he's doing with that one. So those are the two that I really like to listen to, I, like religiously, like every week I got those on my on my iPhone. That's awesome. Apple yeah. Ready. One of my good buddies, uh, and I know I know he'll be listening to this. And Tiger, you know who you are. He 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 got me into uh, Canada Land with uh, with his T-shirt. So uh, so it, good, it's pretty right? awesome. So good, love it. Yeah. So, yeah. do you have any last thoughts or or personal models that you live by, and you think others should know about? When you kind of when you're able to do your own thing, there are no rules, which is sometimes a big challenge because you might not have a clear path to follow, but for the most part, I find that incredibly exciting. Like there is, there's no speed limit. There's nobody telling me how fast or how slow I have to go. There's nobody telling me what I can and cannot do. I get to just kind of like do whatever I want. You know, there's a lot of work involved, but if I want to do something, I can just do it. Like that, that is so amazing. Like it sounds totally cornball, but like, I love Mondays. I love, like, jumping out of bed and, like, being able to hit my desk and, like, get started on a new project, get, you know, something in the works. Like, I love my team. I love the people I work with. Like, I, I, I feel so incredibly grateful that I get to do what I do every day. It's amazing. I love it. 
Absolutely. Well, that's an awesome way to, to end the episode. Uh, Avery, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was amazing to have you on the show. Oh, it was so great. Thank you, guys. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Hack to Start, and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.